Well, good evening. Wow, there's lots of people here. Uh, I am honored to be here. This is all set up here. <clears throat> and I'm honored to be here because uh, I used to live here, <laughs> which you'll find out more as I go through my message. But I want to thank each and every one of you for your support, your prayers and trust of RZIM. You allow us to do what we do, which is evangelism. And in keeping in the theme of this year, 2019, I still watch Joe's sermons of making Jesus famous. He just texted me and he said, make Jesus famous. And I said, I will, I will. And so the title of my message um, this evening is how RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, makes Jesus famous. So last October, I was with Joe, and he put his arm around me, and, and he said, I want you to um, tell a bunch of stories, and I want you to make Jesus famous, and just tell him how RZM does that. And I said, okay, sure, sure. Um, and so, you know, there are so many stories. Just Ravi Zacharias alone for over 40 years in his ministry has spoken all around the world. Um, he has spoken, you know, to all the university campuses that you can imagine, um, uh, to political leaders, uh, people that would make your head spin. Um, last year, we met with ISIS leaders behind the closed doors. Um, we've met with celebrities, CEOs, athletes, um, names and places I'm not even able to tell you. That's the kind of reach that he has. So I asked him, give me a story, at least one. And he said, uh, okay, uh, I just can't get over the fact that my messages were heard in space. So the um, Colonel Lieutenant, uh, Colonel um, James Dutton of the space shuttle brought Ravi's messages with him when he went into space and they listened to him while they were up there. And what he did was he photographed the messages with the CDs floating in midair and everything. It was really cool. <laughs> and then Colonel Dutton, you can see the picture up there, brought this photograph and a bunch of plaques from, the, from their mission. But it was that psalm that he wrote, that Psalm 19.1, that says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handwork. And why he wrote that was he was looking through Ravi's CD and he saw a little blue dot earth from there and he was in awe. And I, and I thought, man, Ravi, there's so many stories uh, from our ministry, how can I contain them in this one message? And then I was reminded of a verse that I love. It's at the end of the Gospel of John. At the end of the Gospel of John, John writes this. Now, there are also many other things Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And I remember thinking the magnitude and the glory of God still amazes me. And I remember saying, wow, he did more than that, more than that after I first read it. And it's James Montgomery Boyce that really put it in, into perspective. One of my favorite authors, he was commentating uh, out of his exposition of the Gospel of John, and he, and he, and he wrote this. He said, Jesus' life, Im 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 important, and unique as it was, only a beginning. It lives on. It lives on in the life and deeds, words, and teaching of his redeemed church. 
And that's you and that's RZIM. And now, by the grace of God, I somehow work and travel around the world with Ravi Zacharias. How do I end up there? You see, nine years ago, <clears throat> I got saved by Jesus Christ. Right here in an office back there, a black man by the name of Marshall Brandon shared the gospel perfectly to me that afternoon. And I wrote here, um, I gave my life to Jesus, and I've never been the same. And from that moment on, I wanted to make him famous. That's Jesus. So I'll give you a little bit of background about myself and how I end up at RZIM. I was a sales rep for a medical sales company for years. I used to do that. I made lots of money, very successful. And while I was doing that, after I got saved, one of my customers named Dr. Russ Raymond, who goes to this particular church, said, you need to listen to Ravi Zacharias. So I began listening to him, and I got into apologetics. And from there, I began to strengthen my faith, and I began to be more confident in my faith. And one thing I really learned, and I'm still learning, is I began to be a better listener because now I cared about the person who was in front of me. And so why I wanted to get stronger in my faith is because now, after one year of being saved, I was ready to tell my mom and dad what happened. And they're from a Hindu background, and I explained what happened, and it was kind of hard and kind of tough, and a year went by, and we convinced them to go to one of Ravi's talks at a university campus, and after the talk, it's a long story, Ravi led my mother to Jesus Christ at 71 years old, and that's how we met, and after we met, he put his arm around me and said, I'd like you to speak and share your testimony at my annual meeting, and I said, no, sir, and he said, uh, he, he pulled me a little closer, and I said, uh, yes, and the reason why I said no, maybe you've already figured it out, is that I stutter. I have a very severe stutter at a young age, and I still do, and I was so scared to speak publicly, but God can use anybody, I guess. And so I actually did that, and then after that, he asked me to meet him in Chicago, Illinois, at the Moody Bible Institute where he was speaking. And we met for lunch in a private lunch, and this is where everything kind of shifted on me when I sat down and he said, so Sanj, what is God telling you to do? And I said, um, all I want to do is let everyone know about Jesus. And, and he said this, he says, I can make that happen. And my whole back got wet, and I started to sweat. He said, what did I just say? A month later, I was in Malaysia speaking about Jesus. And ever since then, he began to bring me every once in a while, and we formed a, a friendship. And about four years ago, um, he asked me to come and work for him full time. And I said, no. I think I'm the only guy that said no. And then after lots of conversation, I finally said yes, and I was saying actually no to God at the time. And he said this, that uh, I asked him, why me? Why me? I'm so unqualified. And he said this. He said, uh, you make my step lighter, Sanj. And I said, okay, then I have one thing that I ask of you, sir, uh, is that um, I want you to correct me. Please correct me because I'm unqualified. And he went right back at me, and, and he said, well, then I have one thing for you is I want you to remember to do things for people that can't do things for you. 
I said, I will, I will try that, sir, I will. So that was four years ago, and now I'm globe trotting around the world sharing the message of Jesus. And so I want to continue the, your theme here at CCC of the three questions of making him famous Jesus, okay? And through RZIM, and I want to connect three passages maybe that'll make sense with, with these three questions. And the, and the first one is, what does RZIM do to make him famous? And how does he do it to make Jesus famous, and how does RZ, and why does RZIM uh, make Jesus famous? So the first one is, what does RZIM do to make Jesus famous? Well, we're about 80, at least 80 now. I always uh, lose how many we've got on our team now of speakers around the world, men and women, different cultures, different backgrounds, different um, strengths, and we're strategically um, uh, put around the world. We are evangelists that use apologetics. Our vision is a long one, but it is the mandate of 1 Peter 3.15, and I'll read it. It is, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. That word defense, you guys, in the Greek, it is the word apologia, and that's where we get the word apologetics. Here's a great story. My colleague Stuart McAllister uh, was in Hong Kong with another colleague, John Dixon. They were in, in Hong Kong speaking in a bank on the uh, in a building up on the, up on the top floor, and, and then we're doing a private talk there. So you've got a Scotsman and an Englishman in Hong Kong speaking to a, a bunch of bankers, and they had only five minutes each and then a question and answer afterwards. And Stuart went first, and he shared um, how um, Jesus changed his life and why he was who he said he was. And the first question was from a Buddhist, and he went right after him, and he said, what makes your God so unique? And then he said, why should we even bother? And John stepped in in, in front of Stuart, and he, he responded like this. He went, history, wounds, and grace. Completely disarmed the audience, and then they began to share more and began to unpack all these questions that they had. And that Buddhist had his arms unfolded uh, like this the whole time. And then after they were done, he went after Stuart and 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 he said, "Sir, I have never heard this message before. I am interested." Ravi always says, "Behind every question is a questioner." Another marketplace story is uh, during our festival of thought conferences, and those are when we enter into a strategic city that is a huge marketplace or a strategic country, and we speak into businesses, and, and we do morning talks, lunch talks, afternoon and evening talks in private businesses like um, Deloitte, low, uh, banks like... Um, um, Barclays, uh, uh, Goldman Sachs, 
Uh, we were in Nike recently. We were in Google. So many, so many. I can, but that's what we do in a one-week span. Almost 80 to 100 talks in one week. We just infiltrate that city, and they're all private kind of talks. That's what Festival of Thought is. And recently, we were in South Africa. I was with my colleague Andy Moore, and um, speaking in a boardroom of just 12 board members only. And it was a waste management company. And as Andy was sharing his message, he could see that one guy was very angry, and he was giving him angry looks. And after he was done giving his message, Andy strategically went and sat next to him because we served lunch always afterwards. And he just put his arm around him almost and, and asked him, what did you think of my talk? <laughs> well, that gentleman went off for about 20, 25 minutes, how angry he had been with God, and Andy was listening and listening and, and listening and opening him up some, and he finally got to the point that 30 years ago, something tragic happened to his son. And Andy brilliantly asked this next question. He said, if it's possible, would you like to be reconciled with God? And this man said, yes, because I am tired of being angry, and he led that man to the Lord. So these are great examples of asking the right questions, being a good listener, and being prepared to give an answer with kindness and gentleness. Influencing the influencer is what we do. This ministry wants to touch the heart and the intellect of, of thinkers and influencers of society. Are you understanding that? Not only do we answer questions, but we ask a lot of questions. We like to ask four questions. Origin, where do I come from? Meaning, what's my meaning and purpose? Morality, why is there a right and wrong? And destiny, where do I go when I die? That forms your worldview, so we focus on those kind of questions. Many of you know our tagline, which is helping the thinker believe and helping the believer think. Folks, you are all thinkers. This is what we do on a daily basis. But how does RZIM uh, make Jesus famous? I think that's going to be the meat of my message, is that we focus on four arenas, okay? And that is the academic arena, the business arena, and the political arena, and the arts. And there are three stages, is what I call them. We we do a talk, we have an audience, and then after that, the next stage is we do a question and answer. And then after that stage, what happens after that, it always happens is then we have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And we see that in the Bible, in the New Testament, where the Apostle Paul, the, the, who I think the great evangelist and apologist, is trying to reach those same arenas in the New Testament. And the passage that reminds me the most of how RZIM makes Jesus famous is in Acts. In the book of Acts, you see, it begins with the most biblical city, Jerusalem, and then it ends in the most secular city, Rome. But it's in Acts 17 is where Paul enters the the country of Greece, the most intellectual country in its time. You see, remember who Paul is. He was born a Jew so he could speak Hebrew. He was a Roman citizen. 
He studied in Tarsus, Paul of Tarsus, which was a prestigious university then. So he knew Greek because that was in Greece. And I wrote here, Paul had credentials. So in Acts 17, he enters three Greek cities, and at the end of Acts, Paul lands in Athens. And he begins by walking around the city and learning the city and learning about their culture. And he focuses on this altar that he finds, and there's an inscription on that altar that says, to the unknown God. And then he can't get his mind off of that. And so he starts thinking of pointing everything towards that in, in Scripture that he has read in Athens. And he begins now to reason with the people. And after that, the leaders are now going to invite him to speak at the Areopagus. That's just a, 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 a large rock where everyone gathers to hear people speak. But you had to have credentials to speak there. And Paul had credentials. And this is where I think the passage that hit me the most of how brilliant Paul was. It's a long passage, but I'm going I'm to actually cut right into it when he's speaking at the Areopagus right here. He says this in Acts 17. He says, and they should seek God. He, he's talking about the unknown God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And here's the kicker. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Amazing how he connects their own poets. He's bringing them in. He's meeting them on common ground and he's using his credentials. He's opened now the door to share the gospel. And after he spoke, it even says at the end of Acts 17 that, that people believed after. And what's amazing is after that, he was invited back. You see, it's kind of like um, somebody that went to Princeton and then gets invited over into Yale to speak. I got a great example. Our speaker, Vince Vitale, Dr. Vince Vitale, uh, went to Princeton and is educated also in, in Oxford and has a PhD. And when I asked Vince, hey man, give me some stories, he said, sure. He said, um, in the last five weeks, I went to Yale. <laughs> I spoke at, at Columbia University. I spoke at Chick-fil-A's executive team in a private room. I even went to Bermuda, he said. Someone has to go there. <laughs> and the premier of Bermuda was in the audience, he said. And then he spoke in Ottawa at the National Prayer Breakfast of Canada, where the Prime Minister of Canada was in the audience. And then he is showing off here, and he says, and uh, next week I'll be at Amazon headquarters in Seattle. See, in a span of week, he had significant conversations about faith with the premier of Bermuda in, all by himself, one-on-one. -on -one. And then he met with the prime minister of, of Canada because that man was moved by his talk, and they met behind closed doors. 
and he spoke to him about the difference between an inherited religion and, and a living relationship with Jesus. Very bold. But he said this, my favorite part of the last six weeks was when we were in Bermuda. We did three long days of, of talks in, in this hotel. And at the end of the week, the hotel manager had been listening to the messages and the answers. And he walked up to Vince and said, uh, I want to follow Jesus. I've been listening to you guys all week. He had credentials. Know who your audience is. You never know who's in your audience. See, I believe that when you do apologetics, it's not a gift. The gift is how you do apologetics. You have to care about the person in front of you. You have to do your homework. Know your audience. You don't want to offend anybody. Find common ground. We want to win people to Jesus. We don't want to debate. We want to have dialogue. And it's okay for us to disagree. And that means you have to learn and read about the background and culture of who's in front of you. Understand their worldview. I have an amazing story uh, from our speaker in, um, in the Middle East, Maher Samuel. When you ask a Middle Eastern to write you a story, all my American guys, this long of a story, you know, bang, 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 bullet point. Three pages long. So I'm going to condense this uh, three-page story into a short one. Maher Samuel is a very, very well-known person in the Middle East. He is a Christian apologist and a thought leader and is seen on TV all over the Middle East. I've walked the streets of Cairo with him and Ravi, and everyone recognizes Maher. That's how popular he is. And he's also a clinical psychologist. So he wrote to me, and he said, this is a story of a very popular Shiite sheikh, who is not only a sheikh, but he also teaches in an Islamic seminary and is a guest on television. And this particular sheikh was on television in Iraq next to a pastor. And they were discussing um, the topic of tolerance and, and accepting others. And after they spoke, it was a very friendly conversation that Sheikh said to the pastor, you know who else I also like to listen to? I like this Maher guy. I like him because I like in his sermons that he uses the former, former, formal, excuse me, Arabic and philosophy. Beautiful. And I am attracted to his messages, he said. So he began to listen to his messages. And this pastor said, well, I know Maher. And he says, you do? He said, I would love to meet him, this guy said. He says, well, the next time Maher is in our country, I'll let you know. So Maher arrives in his country, and the pastor says to Maher, I'm going to call the sheikh now. And he phones the sheikh, and he says to the sheikh, um, your friend is here. And the sheikh says over the phone, you know, you have no idea how precious you are and how much I enjoy listening to you. Something attracts me to you, and I would like to spend some time with you. So that was arranged. 
he has an entourage and he has security, the sheikh, and they met in a room and Maher brought some of our other Middle Eastern speakers with them and they were in a room. And the two men began to have dialogue and it was a philosophical dialogue. And even one of our speakers, Yusuf, said it was like a um, chess game of philosophy. It was so deep. But then Maher shifted the conversation after about an hour, and he asked this question. He said, who is Christ to you, he asked the sheikh. And he, re he replied like this. Listen to what he said. He says, I don't think any healthy individual can possibly hear the name of Jesus and not feel in his soul yearning for him and find its home in him in the name of Jesus. My hair is like, My hair responds and he says, He who perceives Jesus this way must have bonded with him relationally. So when you think of yourself, have you experienced this, Maher asked? Have you experienced this bond? And his response was this, fascinating. He says, can I say I am a Muslim by religion, but a Jesus follower by heart, because I love Jesus in my heart? And then Maher answered, um, it's good that you love him in your heart, but you must accept him as your personal savior. And then the sheikh said, I long for this. And moments later, he accepted the Lord as his only one and only Savior. Influencing the influencer. <laughs> Folks, we are meeting with people that would make your head spin. People that are interested and it's the way we respond. It's the way we answer their questions. As a reminder, there's an audience Q&A and then those one-on-one -on -one meetings. You know, we go to so many campuses. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we went to Michigan, I'm sorry, and then we went to Michigan State, and then we went to Indiana. We all did that in one week and sold out every one of the campuses. 9,000 was at Michigan State. We filled the basketball arena, sold out. But it was in Indiana when, it, when I, I was at all of them, when a Muslim student walked up and asked Ravi and Abdu Murray, who comes from a Muslim background, and they were able to interact, and they answered the question of, is there one God versus three gods? And after that, Abdu began to talk to him afterwards, and they exchanged numbers after that. And a week later, Abdu, over the telephone with this Muslim student, an Olympic athlete, by the way, led him to Jesus Christ. That's what we do. We have this audience, Q&A, and then that one-on-one. -on -one. And then he was baptized three months later, and he's reaching his family. Ravi always says this, when the mind is rightly approached, it filters down to the heart. And this up applies especially to young people. And that's why we also focus on young people. And you're involved in that. We have three initiatives for young people. Refresh is where we have a conference for kids that are about to go to college. Then we have Remind, which is for young adults from 17 to 30-year-olds, which will be here in August. And then we have Reboot, which is for middle schoolers all the way up to high school.
asking Nathan Betts, who, who runs our youth initiatives here in North America, Nathan said, Sanj, the, the two most popular questions we're getting from middle schoolers are suicide and identity, everywhere we go. But he says this, he says, but there's so much hope because we see hundreds of kids come forward after our meetings because they want some kind of commitment and they see it in Jesus Christ. At the Reef Fresh concert la uh, conference last year, I spoke there, I, I shared my story along with the message of security. And I, and I finished and I walked off the stage and everyone wants to talk to you. And then they prayed over me all these young people, and then I walked. And as I was walking, there was a, a black teenage boy waiting. And he pointed at me, and he said, Sir, um, you got me. And I said, Pardon me? And he said, Your message got me, and I need to talk to you. So I said, What's your name? He says, My name is Naji. And so we were walking, and we went to a private room. And I said, Naji, are, are you here alone? Which I knew he wasn't here alone because I had been watching him. He says, No, I'm here with my brother. I said, are you older or, or, or younger than him? And, and he said, I'm three months older than my brother. And I said, whoa. So he sat down and, and I said, Naji, you come from some brokenness if you're telling me that. He says, yes, same dad, two different moms. And I said, why do you want to talk to me? He says, because I've always wanted material things. I've wanted everything that you had, but you, you're telling me that Jesus is better. And I led him to Jesus Christ, and he picked up his cell phone, phoned his father. The reason why him and his brother were there with a, is, is that their father began to listen to Ravi on the radio, and he got right with God, is what he said, and then he sent my brother and I here. <laughs> and now he's phoning his father, and his father answers the phone, and, and he says, hey, Dad, no, he said, Pops, I'm sorry, Pops, I have really good news. Um, I'm following Jesus now, and I'm sorry for being a bad son. And all the father could say, and I could hear it, was hallelujah, hallelujah. Naji then said, hey, Sanj, will you be able to talk to my brother? We don't even get along. I said, sure. So we, I began to talk to his brother, Isaiah. He apologizes to Isaiah. And then Isaiah says, I need some time to think about it. Next morning, he says, I think I want to talk some more. Naji, me, Isaiah, we go up, and we sit down with Ravi Zacharias. Ravi leads Isaiah to Jesus. Last week, I, I always keep in touch with, with, with Naji. I said, Naji, how are you doing? Are you staying close to Jesus? Instantly, closer than ever. Closer than ever. We are merely clearing the bushes and pointing people to Jesus when we use apologetics. With our online academy, social media, YouTube, live streaming, we are reaching millions now. Our transgender answer recently at Penn State with Ravi and Vince Vitale in the first week hit a half a million views. Right here in this church, Ravi answered a question on the view of homosexuality um, with the Christian view. Right here, two million views. We are making him famous. With our online academy as well, we're making him famous. We are uh, in touch, is what I wrote. We are in touch with reality and popular culture. We have to be. 
but it's not just the facts because you can get all those facts on the internet. It's that arm around the person and the one-on-one. -on -one. And a great example I got last night was from our speaker, Sam Albury. Sam Albury is a same-sex attracted man that is celibate, and he has spoken here before. And Sam spoke last year in Canada. And when he was about to speak, hours before, there was all kinds of protesters outside with literally signs and yelling and screaming that he was about to speak in there against Christianity. And what did Sam do? He walked outside of the auditorium and he spoke to those people. And he says, why don't you come inside? Come inside and listen to what I got to say first. And they all walked inside with him. And he spoke. And it, and it was amazing. And the owner of this auditorium, the huge auditorium, was, was receiving hate mail all week long. And that owner said to um, Sam last night, because Sam spoke there one year later, he said, the way you handle all that and your messages, you've made me closer to Jesus. And there were no hate mail this time. Why does RZIM make Jesus famous? You see, because we live in a broken world. And we want answers to the ultimate questions. That's why we do it of righteousness and justice all the time. Christianity answers these issues with the story of creation, the fall, redemption, and new creation. Why? Because we love stories. We have answers to real questions, but we must be prepared. And we see that in the book of Acts again, in a small story in Acts 8, I believe, is when Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch has um, these scriptures, and he's reading them, and he, and he doesn't understand them. And Philip walks up to him and is asking him what he's doing. And this Ethiopian eunuch basically asks him this, and he says this, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip was prepared, and he went right after Jesus. He was baptized, that man, and he went back to Ethiopia. And maybe he was the first evangelist in Africa. We do what's called a missions week. We go to a secular campuses and we, we do what's very similar to Festival of Taught. We, we do morning and um, lunch and, and, and evening talks on secular campuses. We were in, just in the University of Virginia, Florida. I mean, you name it, uh, we are on there. Berkeley we were at and all over Europe. And recently in Europe, I think it was Cardiff University, my colleague Madeline Jackson, who's from California, who's studying in St. Andrews, wrote me this story that she was um, there on campus, finished her talk, and a girl walked up to her, was angry, and said, why are you here on this campus? You guys need to get out of here. I don't like Christians. And she was so angry. And um, Madeline said, would you like to just have a talk at least? So she walked with her and walked with her. And then, then they sat down, and she listened, and then she listened and found out why this girl was so angry. 
because in the same year her mother had died. And a month earlier, her best friend left her. And she said, I'm so angry. I'm alone. And then Madeline shared the gospel. And she said this. She says, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a partner, someone who won't die and leave me after they find out all my issues. And Madeline said, it's Jesus. And she accepted Jesus Christ that afternoon. Probably one of my favorite stories, and we're almost done here, is when Ravi Zacharias was contemplating whether to stop doing his radio show because he didn't know whether he was reaching people. And it was a lot of work because we're on the road all the time. And when he was contemplating that, that week he got a letter from a prisoner in California. And he wrote to him and he said this. He said, uh, I'm in prison for life, but I've been listening to your messages every Sunday. And it's through your messages I have found Jesus Christ. And then he said this, and he said, the reason why I'm here is because I murdered a man. And that man was an Indian man. And now an Indian man has led me to the Lord over the radio. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I think stories like that are just a microcosm of how RZIM operates. We proclaim the name of Jesus in public and private places. We take your question seriously. And with the Lord's help, we give serious answers. We invite people to follow Jesus. So let this love like a fire let my life be like a flame. Fill our souls with your desire. Let our passion bring you fame. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Naji. Are you close to Jesus? If it's yes, make him famous. Make him famous in your life. If you're not, if you're not, Maybe today is the day. Maybe it is when you finally follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus, his life and his, and his death and his resurrection, Lord. Lord, I don't know who's here today, but I know my audience is always hungry for you, Lord. <laughs> and may today be that day that someone right now just builds an altar where they're sitting now and says, I am ready, I'm so done, I'm giving you my whole life and I want to follow you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.